So I do want to clarify, just a point of clarification from last week. So first of all, Matt, uh, our youth pastor, Matt Roskin, preached last Sunday, did an amazing job, right? Amazing job. Uh, good job, Matt. Um, but I do want to just clarify one little story that he told and just kind of kind of put this in perspective just so you, you, you understand because it's, it's important, you know, for you to have full understanding. Uh, Matt w- was fasting. Matt was fasting, and, and we all know, if you, if, you, if you fasted at all, you know that the absolute worst thing that you could break a fast with would be steak, right? And so Matt had been fasting, and then Matt had steak. And so in an absolutely purely selfless, act of sacrifice, I took Matt's stake and actually saved his life. So, Matt, no need to thank me now. So, all right. <laughs> Yay, Matt. Okay, so, I'll also, I'll just throw this out, and, and just so y'all can just, you know, in full disclosure... So I, we went to the beach last week. We took a group, we took the network pastors and, and their spouses on a retreat. We do this every year. So Melissa and I were with them at the beach for a week and, and uh, weather was great. It was actually so much better than what y'all had here. And uh, so I came back yesterday. I walk in the office and Alyssa, Matt's wife, says to me, um, you look like you got some sun and I said, well, I am Tanner. And now, <laughs> is that a dad joke? <laughs> David, yes, okay. I just wanna make sure that I've actually graduated into that level of humor. So yes, that, that is the dad joke of all dad jokes. So I have some pictures I wanna show you. Um, we're gonna jump right into the pictures We live in a society that loves pleasure, excitement, adrenaline, adventure, all that stuff, right? So here's some things that people actually do that they call thrill-seeking. You you got that ready? Look at this. This is a, look at his foot. Please, young man, pull your foot back inside the cage. Um, This is a little little kid, and and he thinks it would be fun. Uh, to play footsie with a great white shark. Okay, so the next next picture. This is a 15-foot crocodile. And, and this guy thinks maybe his head in the croc's mouth would be exciting. Next picture. You know what that is? Volcano sledding. Volcano sledding is a thing. I didn't even know it was a thing, but apparently it's, you, can, you can sled down active volcanoes, and that's exciting. Next picture, bungee jumping. Okay, just quick survey. I, I'm, I'm guessing none of you have actually volcano sledded. Maybe, uh, how many of you have bungee jumped? I bet we have some bungee jumpers here. There's I one. Two, three, about three bungee jumpers. You know what my problem with, is with bungee jumping? So that's like elastic, right? My socks won't even stay up. 
And so I'm, you know, I have no confidence in bungee jumping at all. All right, last picture. Anybody done this? Who's, who's been to Spain and run with the bulls? Oh, surely somebody out there in, in internet land watching live stream has done this. Uh, let me know if you have. I would love to hear a personal, firsthand account. That doesn't look like fun to me. But people travel long distances to do this. People have this on their bucket list. This is, this is a bucket list thing to do, to get chased by bulls and hope you don't die. Run, running with the bulls. I don't get it. Okay, so the point of all this is that we love to do exciting things. And, and the reason uh, that I, I think that we love to do exciting things is because God made us for pleasure. And, and even when you say that, it almost doesn't sound right. But the truth is, God made us for pleasure. He, he really did. Think about it. You know, even though in this life, as we progress through it and as we journey with Jesus, we encounter sufferings and we encounter hardship and, and it shapes us and forms us. And suffering and hardship is a part of the journey. But the destination of the journey is endless joy and pleasure in the presence of God. That's the thing he created us for. And that's the thing that is in our hearts. We have this hunger, this desire for pure pleasure because God put it there. Uh, the problem is that we look for this pleasure we look to have this desire, this hunger for pleasure. We look to have it fulfilled and satisfied in, in other places, like bungee jumping. Uh, I'm just going to tell you, guys, bungee jumping, swimming with sharks, even sledding down a volcano, none of those things can come close to doing in you the thing that God designed inside your heart to be met by only him. He's the only one. He's the only one. And, and our, it's not our passion for pleasure that gets us in trouble. It's not. It's not our passion for pleasure that gets us in trouble. It's the fact that we are too quick to settle for counterfeit pleasure. We're too quick to settle. I want to read from Ephesians chapter 3, uh, beginning at verse 14. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Hang on, don't go, go back to that. I want to read that again. Guys, look at this verse. Think about this. And to know his love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. 
Okay, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. So think about that. What we just read in verse 19 says that God wants to fill us with all the fullness of God. And so when you read that and it stirs up in you something that you want, he wants to do more. He wants to do more than you would ask for, more than you would imagine, immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So the only thing, or I guess the closest thing that I can think of on earth uh, to the relationship that, that God wants us to have with Jesus uh, is marriage. Uh, that's, God invented marriage, I, I believe, uh, to teach us about the relationship that, that can happen, that can exist between Christ and his church. I think back uh, to my first date with uh, my now wife, uh, Melissa. Uh, it was July the 16th, 1977. Uh, we went to see Orca the Killer Whale, but that's just kind of doesn't even really matter. Um, that's just a thing that guys do. They, they, they take girls to movies that the girl has no interest in. Um, but I, so first date, I, I took this woman on a date and we just went to a movie, my cousin and, and a girlfriend of hers went with us, double date. Um, I, think, I think we would, did we go to Shoney's after? I think we might've gone to Shoney's after or something like that. It was, you know, it's not a fancy date, but I, I went home from that date. Now, I know it's hard for y'all to believe, but um, so I was 18 years old at the time and, and in high school, I was, I was pretty cool. I, you know, I didn't know about dad jokes back then, and, and, and so I, I was pretty cool. But I was not cool after that date. I was anything but cool. I went home, and, and I told my sister, this is the greatest day of my life. This is the greatest day of my life. It can't, it, it can't get better than this. I told my, wife, my, my sister, this is it. This is it for me. I, you know, I don't ever need to go on another date, ever, because... I went on the date of all dates tonight. It can't get better. And, but of course, I, that was Sunday night. I also asked her out for Thursday night and Friday night. And she said yes. And then I asked her for, <laughs> for Saturday because I had lost all sense of coolness. <laughs> and uh, she said no <laughs> for Saturday. So I only had three dates with her that first week. But there was not, you know... It, there just, there wasn't enough. I, 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 wanted, I wanted to be with her. Uh, something, that first date, something just was ignited in me. And, and it wasn't enough to just say, hey, had a date, done. Every date left me wanting to be with her more. Wanting to marry her. So much so that, that I asked her to marry me uh, relatively quickly, not, not weeks, but, but months, less than a year, right? Maybe, yeah, yeah, because we, yeah. March, 
March. She's saying stop. Um, but I can't. And uh, so the bottom line, though, is now it's, it's been 44 years since that first date. And I love her more now than I ever have. Ever. I want to be with her more now than I ever have. And that is what God has for us. That's what he wants for us. That's, that's what he's calling us into. That's why Psalm 37, 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 16, 11 says, you have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. C.S. Lewis said it this way, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to continue making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by a holiday at sea, we are far too easily pleased. You see, the problem is not our desire for pleasure. It's not our passion for, des for desire or pleasure that, that gets us in the ditch. It's looking to the wrong thing, looking to the wrong person to satisfy that hunger. God made us to be fascinated. God made us to be fascinated. God actually made us to be dumbfounded, to be stunned at the reality of his presence. Not to walk an aisle one day at a camp, pray a prayer, and then just go on about our lives. But God created us and created within us a hunger for him that grows, that increases, that never goes away. Just gets more and more and more and more. Not because he can't or won't meet that hunger, but because he's created us in such a way that every time he meets it, he increases it. Every time he meets it, he increases it. Every time he meets it, he increases it. So that we never stop pursuing him. He never stops pouring out. He never runs out. You never get to the point where you just tap out and say, oh, that's it, I have all of God. But as Paul writes in Ephesians, God's call is that we could have all the fullness of God in us. It's eternal. It takes forever. It's a journey. We're made for excitement. Now, sometimes, for many of us, there have been times when in our Christian walk, or maybe even at the beginning of our decision to follow Christ, we traded in 
our passion for desire, our passion for pleasure. We traded it in for duty or obligation. And I think God wants to say to us, don't. Don't trade in your passion for pleasure. I made you for that. Just find your pleasure in me. Find your pleasure in me. And so our prayer today is that God would release the knowledge of his son. That God would release in this place the knowledge of his son because it is the knowledge of his son that will awaken you. It is a revelation of the reality of Jesus. That that is the thing that will awaken your mind and awaken your heart and awaken your life for more of him. Leonard Ravenhill said one time that we've settled, we've lived subnormal for so long that normal seems abnormal. And the normal Christian life, you know, the normal Christian life is absolutely overwhelmed, stunned by the goodness of God and his love and his posture toward you. Not his posture away from you, but his posture toward you. That's normal. We've settled. We've settled for so much less than that. Revelation is when God shows or communicates something about himself that is deeper than we previously knew. And the good thing, one of the great and glorious things about God is that he has revelation after revelation after revelation after revelation for us. He wants to take you to a deeper place today so that he can take you to a deeper place tomorrow so that he can take you for a deeper place to a deeper place the day after and the day after and the day after. All through the Gospels, we see examples of these eye-opening, revelatory moments that people have, these experiences of Jesus At his baptism in Matthew chapter three, verses 16 and 17, it says Jesus comes up out of the water after he's baptized and the spirit of God descends on him like a dove and lands on him. And people see this. And then the voice of the father thunders from heaven. This is my son. I love him. He pleases me. And people's eyes are open. The ones who receive the revelation of God in that moment, their eyes are open to who this person is. And the ones whose hearts and minds and and spirits are closed to the revelation of God, you know what they say? Sounded like thunder. Sounded like thunder. In Matthew chapter 8, Jesus was with the disciples uh, in a boat, and a storm comes. Jesus is sleeping. They wake him up. They're afraid. They think they're going to die. They're panicking, and they wake up Jesus, and Jesus says to the storm, be still. And the storm is still, and the disciples look at each other, and they say, what kind of man? is this? They've been following him. I mean, they got in a boat with him. They love him. They're fascinated already with him. But then they have this, and they look at each other, and they go, what kind of man is this? What kind of man 
In Matthew chapter nine, Jesus heals a mute. And the people say, nothing like this has ever been seen. Nothing. Matthew 16, we know the story of, uh, with Peter, where Jesus asked, who do people say that I am? And they tell all the different things that people are saying. And, and then Jesus says, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And, and Peter says, you're the Christ. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, Peter, you didn't think that up. My father in heaven gave you that. That's revelation, people. That is revelation. God tells you something you didn't know. God tells you something bigger and better than what you knew before. Luke 5, Jesus is in a boat with the disciples and they catch a whole bunch of fish. And when they pull the fish in, there's so many fish, Peter looks at Jesus and he has this revelation. He sees the glory of God on Jesus like he'd never seen before. And he falls down in the boat. He's down in the floor of the boat, looking up kind of at Jesus and saying, you, you need to go. You need to get away from me. I'm not good enough to be with you. I'm not good enough. And I know we've all had those moments. All of us have those moments when we just, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. It's like in Isaiah, when Isaiah says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train fills the temple. And Isaiah's response was, I'm not good enough. He says, woe is me. For I am undone. I am a sinful man and I live with some people who aren't so hot either. I'm not good enough. And when you see the glory of God, that may be your initial response. When you see the more of Jesus, your initial response, your first response may be, God, I'm, I'm not good enough. I should just settle out over here in, on the back row of heaven, just barely in enough not to be out. And Jesus says, no, that's not what I made you for. I didn't make you for that. I made you for pleasure. I made you for unbelievable joy unexpressible joy and pleasure in me. Not from a distance. Not from a distance, but from close, close up and personal. In Luke chapter 17, there are 10 lepers that are healed. All 10 of them know that they're healed. Only one comes back. And the reason is that nine of them know what Jesus did. But one of them has a revelation of who Jesus is. Don't settle, y'all. Don't settle for what he did. We need to know who he is. 
He wants you to know who he is. The one who recognized who he was came back, screaming, yelling with a loud voice about Jesus, who he was, praising God with a loud voice and throwing himself at the feet of Jesus. Don't don't settle just for knowledge of what he did. You need to know who he is. Zacchaeus, in in Luke chapter 19, we read the story of Zacchaeus. and, And what we know about Zacchaeus before he met Jesus is that he wanted to be rich, and, and he was rich. And he had worked really hard at being rich, and he would do whatever it took to be rich. And he would steal from whoever he had to steal from or cheat whoever he had to cheat in order to be rich. And, and his plan was working because he was rich. And then he meets Jesus, and he has this revelation of who Jesus is, actually through the kindness of Jesus, when Jesus invites him and spends time with him and accepts him in a way that no one else had, we know that Zacchaeus has a revelation of God because he changes. He doesn't just decide to change, he changes. In a breath, in a heartbeat, he goes from this greedy person who only wants to be rich to saying, I'm just gonna give it away. I'm just gonna start giving money to these people and that people and those people and whoever I cheated. I'm gonna give them two, three, four times what I took for them, from them. He is changed by an encounter with the living God. It's not something that happened up here. It's not something he figured out, thought through, and made a decision about. It happened in here. He had an encounter with Jesus. In John chapter four, Jesus is at a well and he speaks to a woman. He tells her through a word of knowledge things about herself. And she says to everyone who will listen, come see this man who told me everything I ever did. She has a revelation of who he is and he, she wants everyone to know. In Luke chapter 24, After the resurrection, two disciples are walking down the road and they've heard rumors. Uh, They're they're still broken up over the fact that Jesus died and they're not quite sure about this resurrection stuff. There are rumors floating around. They say as Jesus joins them on the road, they're walking along with him and they don't recognize him. And they say to him, some things have happened. I don't know where you've been. But you don't, you you know, it seems like you don't know what's going on. And so we'll just fill you in. There's this man named Jesus, and they killed him. And that was a couple of days ago. And now, some of our women say that they saw him. And they use words like, we had hoped that he was the Messiah. So they're, they're right there on the brink of losing hope. But they're also hanging on to these rumors because some of their friends, some of the women have said, we saw Jesus. And they invite this stranger in to eat with them and he breaks bread. And when he breaks the bread and offers it to them, the Bible says their eyes were open and they saw him. Their eyes were open and they saw him. In that moment, 
as he offered himself to them, their eyes were open and they saw him for who he was. And things like that happen over and over and over because revelation is what we need. Knowledge is good. It's just not enough. It's incomplete without revelation. Revelation is what we need, an eye-opening experience of the grace and glory of God. Moses, to me, is a fascinating person in the Scripture. Moses saw a lot of things, heard a lot of things, experienced a lot of things with God. Moses experienced, experienced things with God that other people didn't. There are a lot of times where it's just you know, God and Moses. And Moses says to God, show me your glory. That's a pretty bold ask. Moses is actually saying to God, show me the thing that sets you apart. Moses is saying, God, we, we worship you. We worship you. You are God. We worship you. You are above everything and everyone. Show me the part of you that sets you apart. Show me your glory. Show me your glory. And God says, you can't see my face, but I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. Why do you think? Why did Moses get that? Show me your glory. Well, you can't see my face, but all my goodness, I will cause all of my goodness to pass through you, pass before you. Why does Moses get that? Well, maybe because he wanted it and was willing to ask for it. Maybe because that's what God created him for, to desire that, to long for it, to want more, to not settle for less than God had offered, to not shrink back to the back row and say, just barely in, just barely in. That's all I need. There is a life in Christ that we were made for. And we will never be satisfied until we have that. And the reason is, we're not supposed to be satisfied until we have that. We will not know it in its fullness until we see him face to face. But if we will join him in this pursuit, he will satisfy and then expand our hunger Satisfy and expand our hunger. Satisfy and expand our hunger. A.W. Tozer wrote these words in 1948. It is not mere words that nourish the soul, but God himself. And unless and until the hearers find God in personal experience, they are not the better for having heard the truth. The Bible is not an end in itself, 
but a means to bring men and women to an intimate and satisfying knowledge of God, that they may delight in his presence, may taste and know the inner sweetness of the very God himself in the core and center of their hearts. Is that what you have? Is that what you want? I contend that you can have it and want it. And that's the way God designed us to be, to have him and want him, to have him and want him. One date is just not enough. It's just not enough. We want forever with him. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for revelation today. I pray that we would have our our eyes opened, our hearts expanded, our souls just awakened. We, we can't go all the way at once, but we can press in further. We can, we can go deeper. We can increase without it killing us. Create in us a hunger for you. Awaken in our souls and our spirits a desire for more of you because we know, because you said that you have and you want more than we have imagined, more than we have dreamed of. Don't let us settle for less. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. I'm gonna invite our teams to come and get ready to pray for people. And uh, I just encourage you today, Perhaps you, you want to come and be prayed for by one of the teams. Uh, or maybe you just want to come and kneel on the steps and, and pray by yourself. Or perhaps you just would feel better using your chair as an altar and just turn and, and, and kneel at your, at your seat and pray. But I just I want to encourage you because I, I think it's really easy for us to just become complacent and, and settle for where we are and just stay there. And, and that's not what God wants for any of us. He, he is continuously drawing us deeper with him. He continuously looks back and says, come on, a little further, a little further. And the worst thing we can do is stop. And you just keep going, keep going, keep going. He has more for you. He has more. Holy Spirit, we pray, uh, awaken our hearts to all that you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen.